Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. Tonight, xenomophobia runs rampant during an alien resurrection. Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad. Let the chaos begin. I am Adam, not the man with whom to fuck, Thomas. And I am Thomas Mariani telling you to get away from that intro, you bitch! <laughs> that was mean. I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm just inside of this big robot mech and I feel so tough. Yeah, that's used to... It's like a giant forklift mech. Mm-hmm. I really shouldn't be recording it. It's really awkward to sit here in this fucking mech. <laughs> so super this. uncomfortable. Plus, I got a job to do. <laughs> just the whole time recording. So anyway, this... <laughs> all over this episode. Dropping boxes off a dock. Oh, shit. <laughs> Fuck. So, in case you couldn't tell from our hilarious banter, we are doing an episode today of Double Edge Double Bill of the Alien franchise, because uh, this is the year of Alien's 40th anniversary. From what I could do some research on, the original Alien premiered in May of 1979, but it kind of expanded a bit more to other theaters in late June. So I was like, let's do it now. Sure. Yeah, why the hell? Why the, why hell, the not? hell not? Well, and plus, we already previously did a Predator episode, where we kind of dabbled in this franchise a bit by talking about AVP, um, the, the best of these movies, obviously. Yes, clearly. But... You know, unlike the Predator franchise, I think the Alien franchise has definitely been well-worn, but at the same time, I don't think ever quite loses its at least fascinating elements, even if the movies can be quite terrible. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, the thing is, even the ones that are, like, pretty awful, there's still something exciting about them, whether it's just, how did they get made, or... What it was the idea behind all this, director's choices, or anything. I mean, each movie is so unique in its own way. Yeah, and that's definitely why, if you're a fan of all of this franchise, definitely pick up that Alien Anthology set, which I just did on Blu-ray, because I hadn't had it on Blu-ray. And I was like, fuck it, why not? Just the amount of detail that went into those special features, is a, it's a work of home video art. I, I think that's one of the best box sets available right now, because I had it too. I... I Still think the Friday the 13th box set that came in the tin might be the best, but this is right. The quadrilogy was right up there. Oh, and nothing else. Also, just the transfer with the Blu-ray. Um, it looks phenomenal, all those movies. I rewatched all oh, of those gorgeous. movies in preparation of this. And God, especially the first two, which I, I guess the, the question is, Adam, how did you discover this franchise initially? When do you remember first seeing one of these alien movies? It was Spaceballs. Well, okay. <laughs> That, but if that counts, then it counts for me too, I guess. <laughs> well, the thing is, when I was a kid, uh, I was allowed to see a lot of movies like Terminator and Predator and things like that. But for some reason, neither of my parents, even which is weird because my dad let us watch everything, like RoboCop, way too young when I saw RoboCop. But 
they didn't want me to watch the alien movies. And I think it's because of the inherent, you know, just ultra S and M sort of sexuality that's in them. A lot of phallic imagery and whatnot, uh, especially cause it's, you know, it's Geiger or Geiger or however you want to pronounce his name. Uh, I believe he pronounces it penis. Yes. <laughs> yes. HR penis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the German pronunciation. <laughs> so it took me a long time. And then like, I remember when I saw Spaceballs, and I had no idea what was going on, but I loved it. Then finally, I want to say I saw Aliens first, which, of course, Aliens, when you're a kid, when you're like 10, 11 years old, and you got Nerf guns that sort of resemble the guns they have, and it's the coolest movie ever. Admittedly, for me, if we're talking about in terms of cultural awareness at all, I would actually say, weirdly, my first exposure to any of the Alien movies was The Great Movie Ride at uh, Disney, formerly MGM Studios. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yes, which, uh, for those of you who don't remember, this was an old ride that was at the now Disney Hollywood Studios Park uh, when it first opened that went through the history of cinema. You go through all these various lo- different uh, vignettes of different famous movies, different scenes, and one of them was, uh, you see a uh, bad Sigourney Weaver animatronic just looking around, oh, no. and then all of a sudden uh, the alien xenomorph pops out of the ceiling at you. Um, as a child, that was terrifying, so I stayed away from these sure. movies for a while, until my dad was like, hey, we're watching Aliens. That was, I think that's how a lot of people watched these movies first, was Aliens. Yeah, I think so. It's the most accessible one. Though I would still say, upon especially revisiting these, Alien is my favorite. I think as I've grown older, I've grown more attachment to the first Alien. If nothing else, because of the aesthetic, and also just the sort of weird balance between the sort of aesthetic of the original Star Wars movie and the structure of the Halloween slasher. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. And Alien, there's a lot of points where it almost feels like a slow burn sort of deal, and I've become a huge fan as I've gotten older of slow burn movies, Uh, which is not to say that that's the only reason I like it, but um, yeah, I was definitely more of an Aliens fan growing up until, oh hell man, I don't know, maybe even as little as 10 years ago until I finally revisited the original, and I'm like, oh my god, this movie is damn near sci-fi horror perfection. Mm-hmm. But you've even said that like, even some of the lesser ones you're more of an apologist for. I actually like all of them, except for the AVP movies. You know, like Alien 3 has its troubles, but we've talked about that on prior podcasts before, and that actually might really be my favorite. I'm not sure. It's just something about the look and aesthetic of that one that I really, really enjoy. And it's so bleak and such a downer. But even Alien Resurrection, Alien Resurrection to me is well, like a... maybe put, well, a, put pin a pin in that. In that. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. But, but even like Prometheus, I think the creature design and the costuming and the set design and just everything in Prometheus just is so well done. The movie doesn't come together necessarily, but there's so much to look at in that. And plus, I mean, Michael Fassbender, Jesus. Yeah, what I love is the fact that those two movies are just, especially with The Covenant, they're just like, hey, you know, there'll be aliens in here, there'll be some gore and shit, but really we care about David being a fucking weird alien Frankenstein yeah, monster. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and, and let's, ha- let's have him have, like, a weird homosexual chemistry with himself, but it's not himself. He'll do the fingering at him. So fucking bizarre, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I love it though. Yeah, no, yeah, that's that's a very good point. Um, admittingly, with Ridley Scott taking it back over, I'm only disappointed in as much as what I like about, especially the first four Alien movies, is they do have a distinctive directorial stamp. Yet at the same time, feel like they're part of the same franchise. And I would love to see that again, especially. I mean, now Fox is owned by Disney. And I'm sure they're going to try and milk that. I know the most recent news story is back as like 
three or so weeks ago was that they're still planning on doing another Ridley Scott movie, like they're finishing that trilogy. I'd almost rather though the Ridley Scott third movie than the the planned Neil Bloomkampf like reboot. Other than District Nine, no, not not so much a fan. What everyone loves, Chappie. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, Chappie or Elysium, <laughs> where uh, his character name is a Hispanic character. <laughs> it drives me nuts. His name is like Max de Costa. Yep, and it's Matt Damon, everyone's it's favorite Matt Hispanic. Damon. You know, it's a good thing we're not going to be talking about white people pretending to be Hispanic on this particular episode at all. Yeah, oh boy. Not at all. Uh, but in any case, I do agree that I think that Neil Blomkamp sort of pitch of like, we're going to ignore uh, three onward and we're going to do a sequel to Aliens and Alien. I just don't really like that more in terms of like, it feels too nostalgic baity in general. What what are you going to be able to fill in for what happened after Aliens to now? I mean, they've aged 30 years. What they do is just like, oh, hey, your cryopods had a malfunction where you were asleep, but you aged. That's what they probably fucking oh, that's do. That's probably exactly what the fuck they would do. Right. If, if that happened, that ended up not happening. And I mean, I would just rather, weirdly, we kind of continue from where Resurrection kind of left off in terms of, I want to see sort of what this era of Earth is. And how aliens actually interact on it. Because we've only seen them on Earth in those fucking AVP movies. And it's fucking stupid. Yeah. I would really like to th- see that. Especially in our one feature, how Earth is regarded as just the worst place ever. Well, I want to see it. We should get into specifically our double feature, which at the end of last week's episode, if you might be new, um, we picked between uh, Adam had two good alien movies, I had two bad alien movies, and we each picked numbers between 1 and 10, and ended up randomly picking this double feature, which uh, his good pick is Aliens from 1986, and my bad feature is Alien Resurrection. So uh, why don't we go ahead and get into our even-numbered double feature here with part two, Aliens. Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? That's the plan. Uh, I got signals. I got readings in front and behind. There's nothing back here. Look, I'm telling you, there's something moving and it ain't us. Get them out of there! Aliens. This time, it's war. So Aliens uh, came out, like I said, 1986, July 18th, 1986, which is very interesting because that's a solid, what, seven years after uh yeah it was a huge huge gap to the point to where as far as i know from what i remember hearing they really thought the franchise was kind of dead like it was just alien and that was it until like james cameron came in with his like opinion and really was like no i can do this i can make it something and they were like all right fuck it go ahead Right, yeah, there's a bunch, as I mentioned on that Alien Anthology set, there's a bunch of special features about that, where basically um, they were kind of mulling over, like, yeah, maybe we can do another Alien movie, and James Cameron sort of uh, was picked because his script for some movie called The Terminator, uh, did that go anywhere? I think it's an obscure Lost film. Yeah, I mean, did he go anywhere is what I want to know, James Cameron. That's true, it's not like we covered one of his movies that was also the highest grossing movie of all time, as of this recording. Yeah, right, exactly. (laughs) Fucking Marvel, you snakes. (laughs) (laughs) They might be releasing a certain Endgame movie to try and bounce that off. But yeah, so he had the script out for Terminator, hadn't shot it yet, but um, had like a gap in production because Arnold was too busy contractually obligating to do Conan the Destroyer uh, for Dino De Laurentiis. And so he was like, well, I don't have enough time to make a movie, but I could at least like write most of a script for Aliens. And in a weird turn for Hollywood, he wrote like, 
I two thirds of the script and was like, oh, I gotta go and shoot Terminator now, guys. I can't finish it. You might hire somebody else. Fox read it and they were like, we're gonna wait for you to finish Terminator so you can finish this script. And if Terminator is successful enough and we like what you, we see from that, you'll direct this. And he did. Which would never ever happen. Now, nope, never, never really uh, happened that much at the time. That's how rare they, they this. get fucking like David Goyer to finish it. Oh, you know it, one hundred percent. That fucking guy. Thank God they waited because this movie, without James Cameron's touch on it, could have really failed. It feels distinctly like Cameron, especially because of how streamlined it is, especially as a script. It does a perfect job of like introducing all the characters, getting you back inside this world, setting up the stakes, all this other stuff, and in process of it actually being filmed, it doesn't feel like, at the original cut, two hours and 17 minutes. Like, at all. Uh, no. And in fact, you just now saying that kind of blew my fucking mind. (laughs) I'm like, what? This movie's not two hours. Yeah, you're right. Most James Cameron movies really are, and he manages to make them not feel that length. But I actually am curious, did you watch the original or special edition version? Uh, I watched the original. I did not watch the special edition. I've seen the special edition version, but for this one I watched, for this uh, show I watched the original. Same, and I honestly prefer the original cut. I think just because it adds a lot more stuff about like, hey look, Ripley and Newt are connecting. Do you Mm -hmm. get it? They're like mom and daughter. Right. It's great. Exactly. Yeah, and it just it feels like really laying it on thick as opposed to in here. I think he does a really great job of establishing that connection without really laying it on to you like you're an idiot. Right. Exactly. It doesn't beat you over the fucking head with it. Like you kind of get get it right off the bat. When like, oh, your daughter, you know, is dead. Okay, she sees this little girl and becomes her protector. Well, got it. Well, they got never the idea. they never really mention the daughter, but they do a great job of just establishing. Oh, how long has it been? It's been like. What, 70 years, right, is what they say between the first and second? Yeah, she's dead, man. Well, no, but they don't say that she even has a daughter. That's the thing. They don't establish that. And I don't believe they say that even in the first Alien. Oh, I thought they do. I think that's the thing, is that that's more established in in the, uh, like, special edition version. I mean, yeah, but you don't need that. I mean, you get the idea, even if you want to just call it her protecting her or the maternal instinct... Or whatever you want to call it. You don't need the backstory. I think that's a huge problem with most movies nowadays. Where they have to just hammer you with backstory. Like, see? See, this is why they made that decision. But Ad- but Adam, you know why you said that, right? Back ten years ago, when you didn't say that in a previous podcast, now it means all the world that you're saying it now. Right, exactly. <laughs> and see. You're welcome, America. And by the way, hot, maybe it's not a hot take, but I'm just going to say... The biggest thing about this movie, fuck you, mad about you, you piece of shit. I, what's the controversial part of that? I don't know. Probably nothing. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's like, no, we all agree fuck Paul Reiser as a character in this movie, and also fuck mad about you in general, but... Yeah, and your fucking books, and whatever the shit else you're trying to do. Oh, I did season two of Stranger Things. Go fuck yourself. You tried to kill Ripley, you fuck. <laughs> You just meet Paul Reiser in real life in just a costume for it. You have no perception he kicks of fiction. the shit out of me, though. But really, obviously, Paul Reiser is a great example of a villain that you love to hate in terms of just he immediately comes on, you're like, oh, this dude's a bureaucratic piece of shit, and no matter what he says, he's gonna fuck over Ripley this whole time. And, uh, yeah, I think that, obviously, like, the he populates this movie, James Cameron, with such a great supporting cast around Ripley in a way that 
it's, it's sort of familiar to the original Alien, but so much more distinct in that Ripley is so much more obviously the main character here versus part of an ensemble. And here, it's just like it's a great supporting cast to play off of Ripley, which works especially with the Marines. Oh, yeah. The Colonial Marines were like the coolest things ever. Right. So much so that they inspired so much like media, especially video games. How many video yeah, games ripped this it, shit off? None of them were good. <laughs> Aliens Colonial Marines is the best film. The best game, game ever. Meditation, obviously. Yeah. Um, but, I, I mean, even just other video like. Any number of like Halo games rip this off so hard with like, like the sort of aesthetics and the dialogue oh, back Dune. and forth. Dune, obviously, Dune. of course. Right. Yes. So that's obviously there. But I think what really works is the fact that they actually had all the Marine actors who were there um, basically go have like actual training and have a camaraderie build up before the shooting. So that, yeah, they got to design their own gear and shit. Right. And so that's why you they, and they obviously exclude Sigourney Weaver and Paul Reiser and some other people out of it just so it's like, oh, they're this foreign element that's coming in and we're obviously judging them as they come in. The only Marine that didn't do that was Michael Bean because um, I didn't find this out until fairly recently that he came in a couple days into shooting because James Remar had to be removed uh, allegedly for a drug possession charge. Oh, yeah, and he's come right out and said that he was just so fucked up at the time and it was like the lowest point in his career and what a huge blown opportunity it was but that being said don't get me wrong i love james Umar. i happen to met the man we're buddies now but i can't see him as hicks now i don't know if it's only because i've seen michael bean but james Remar always comes across like too tough and too masculine where michael bean really sort of has a pathos about him like a sympathetic tinge to him that i think really works i could see Remar as any of the other marines as opposed to yeah, yeah, Hicks. Right. I, I, Even Vasquez. Right. Which, uh, let's bring this up yeah. now. Um, so, uh, Jeanette Goldstein as Vasquez, which admittedly, this character of the gruff, Hispanic, very butch. Um, sort of butch, right, uh, female character, became a type, mainly by Michelle Rodriguez, um, who fairly deserves it more than uh, Jeanette Goldstein does, because she's... Because Michelle Rodriguez is actually Hispanic? Right, as opposed to Jeanette Goldstein is obviously a very white Jewish lady. Like, I always knew that, where just like, Jeanette Goldstein, that doesn't match. (laughs) Like, Hispanic lady, at all, necessarily. Um, But it wasn't really until this watch, um, where in, like I said, crystal clear Blu-ray HD, um, how they made her look like a fucking Oompa Loompa. Yep. She... Painted orange. <laughs> it is ridiculous. I mean, there's even there's even times where she's sweating, and you can see the makeup running. But now that we're on the supporting cast, I do want to say, now, don't run, I do prefer Alien, um, and I love Ash. You, you know, uh, he's excellent, the android, but fucking A, Lance Henriksen as Bishop is perfect. This might be his best yeah. performance. Yes, admittingly, um, because after this, it's a lot of pay jobs, lots, it still of, is. lots of paychecks. It's still is. He's got some fucking movie coming out where they're trapped in a subway train underwater, and there's, like, creatures <laughs> swimming around outside. <laughs> it's called Derailed. Where the fuck did the subway derail at? He's one of those dudes who's going to be like a David Carradine. Like, when he dies, there will be movies ten years after his death. That come out. I thought you were going another way with that. Nope, no, not going, going that way. Was not going that way. No, get a little blue here. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Lance Henderson is so fucking perfect in this movie. He does it so well because he could come across as a genuine like fucking 
threat or intimidating, but it's just something behind his voice. He's got that deep, gruff voice, but the way his inflection is in this movie, he comes across so caring and sympathetic where he just wants to, you know, help everybody. And, and it just works so perfect. And that fucking death scene is some of the best practical effects still on film. Right, though it technically isn't the death scene, he's still alive, he participates in Alien 3 later. Um, But no, the the sort of disembowelment, yes, Yes. I agree, works. And I think that's also, I think Bishop is a great example of how this movie not only just works on its own as a sci-fi action movie, but is such a great complement to Alien in Mm. terms of its real, like, journey, where obviously you mentioned Ash, Ian Holmes' character, was such a sinister, evil robot, and finding that out, obviously, um, in the way they do in that movie, is horrifying, uh, where he becomes, like, covered in uh, fettuccine Alfredo. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Delicious, but terrifying. Like fettuccine Alfredo. Every time I eat it, I'm always terrified. Which I bet you do a lot. What gave that away? (laughs) A couple things. If you... (laughs) Mamma mia! Uh, but <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, that the sort of compliment of coming from that adventure where Ripley was, you know, betrayed and backstabbed by a robot, and then having that prejudice of seeing this other robot character, like I want any goddamn robots on this mission, and Bishop ends up being like, "Hey, I, I'm not like that guy. That's that was so long ago. I am a completely different model and person." And everything. And the relationship and chemistry that builds up from there works so well that when he ends up getting, like, disemboweled, you really feel it. You feel like, oh my god, Bishop, no! You really don't want to see that happen to that fucking robot. I know. I, I, I completely agree. He was probably one of my biggest takeaways as a kid. I think this movie is the reason I'm still a Lance Henriksen fan. And just other things he popped up in. I mean, obviously James Cameron loves him. He was supposed to be the Terminator. Right. Um, uh, underrated performance also movie. I wouldn't mind talking about on the show at some point. Pumpkinhead. Oh, my God. Yeah, that that actually might be his best performance. Which is weird because he's doing a very over-the-top sort of an accent, but it has so much pathos in it. It's... But it works. Yeah, it just yes. works. Uh, but then, I mean, just everything he would pop up in, like Near Dark, and I mean, how terrifying is he in Near Dark? He was so good and. I always have a fond spot for him. I think, honestly, it started with Aliens. What are some other uh, supporting cast members that stand out to you? Oh, God, dude. You know, we we haven't fucking talked about Bill Paxton. Yeah, I was kind of waiting on that one, to be honest. But yes, Bill Paxton, of course. The thing is, all right, hot take, maybe. Bill Paxton has never been a great actor. Okay, he's good in little bit parts. He's not fantastic. He never really was. This fucking show is over. No, fuck you. It's true. He he has a tendency to overact, but there was nobody else who could be Hudson but Bill Paxton. Seeing Chip from Weird Science as a Marine, you're like, yep, this works. He's so funny. He's perfect in this role. He's he's probably one of my favorite side characters. I really do like William Hope, but I've always kind of liked him as an actor. No, yeah, dude. I mean, game over, man. Game over. That's so infinitely quotable. People who don't even know the movie know that line. I, I think the thing is with Bill Paxton for me, where I agree that he's not necessarily the most diversely ranged actor, but what I really loved about him was he was the king of being the overly confident masculine white guy who was able to completely tear down any of those perceptions the moment actual danger came about. Like, he did such a great job of being this guy who was like, hey, I'm putting on airs, I'm the toughest guy in the room. The moment anything happened, man, what the fuck are we gonna do? Game over! Like, he always did such a great job of that. uh, Bishop with the knife trick. Okay, let's... (laughs) (laughs) 
like we talked about, this movie is populated with such a diverse, crazy side characters that it's amazing to me that they got all these characters in this movie, and it is only a two-hour and 17-minute runtime, but you remember every character. Even down to the most authentic of the military guys, Al Matthews, who was an actual guy uh, in the military. Was he uh, Sergeant uh, uh, Apone? Yeah. I love the core. <laughs> I love the core. Yes, and his whole um, thing, which is like, on the front line? On the front line? It's all, all of it. The movie builds up such a great grounded element where it's like, okay, they're going off on this giant bug hunt, but it's like these military guys going off on this mission. All of the military stuff feels so lived in and real mm. that when they go into the fantastical element of going inside of the abandoned base, which I found out also this was on the same sets that later would shoot Batman, Tim Burton's Batman, and you can tell. Oh, absolutely. Like, all the rap. It's access chemicals. Right, it's access chemicals. Yeah, to the point where when they were shooting those scenes, there were still leftover little alien eggs. I believe it. Strewn around. I absolutely believe that. Now, would you call this movie, would you put this right in the sci-fi horror genre, or would you call this an action movie? Um, to quote that little girl from the taco commercial, why not both? <laughs> I mean, no, I, I think it, it fits all of those things, because I think like it definitely has elements of horror, for sure, especially, like, the moment where things go awful in that mission, where people are, like, on fire and shit, and the aliens have just, like, started making people burst out and shit like that, that is terrifying. It also has plenty of great action beats, obviously, and it, um, you know, it's obviously sci-fi in terms of the alien stuff. I think it fits all of those parameters in a way that's, um, you know, kind of points out even further that, like, people who get so picky about, like, classifying genre can just be so fucking annoying. Sure. I just hate when that happens. No, I agree with you. I, I do think this is more action-heavy, but it's obviously horror. I mean, it's got... There are terrifying things that happen in this movie. Who cares, man? Just let it be what it is, man. Speaking of the terror, we have to point out that, like, the alien effects are obviously done by Stan Winston are who? groundbreaking. Done by who? And, uh... Uh, that that guy drinking pumpkin head. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, that guy. Oh man, shame. That's the only thing he ever did after this. The the stuff, especially with like, I forgot how good the Alien Queen is. Especially as I mentioned on the Blu-ray. My biggest problem with this movie before was like, man, it is so hard to see. Like earlier versions of this movie look terrible and grainy, and you can barely see anything. Yeah. Whereas that Blu-ray version, it's all crystal clear. It's obviously still dark when it needs to be because most of the movie takes place in like this very dark, abandoned areas and it kind of feeds off the darkness but when you do see that alien queen in action it's like holy fuck that's a real puppet that looks like it's totally moving and i can barely see like the strings and armatures that thing is insane just for the sheer scope of it alone it's fucking so impressive and yeah of course the movie's dark but that was also you know their way of maybe hiding like you already said the seams and you know the green screen effects and things like that uh which cleaned up some of it's like whoa. but still the god this, this practical effects in this movie hold up so incredibly well. I'd argue more than our next feature. At, at the same time, even the stuff that's cleaned up were, like, the, the most, the shot I was the most impressed by, considering I know how obviously it was done, was when that ship crashes yes. in front of everybody, their last hope, where I'm like, okay, that's obviously a matte thing, and they're, like, running over, and it's like a rear screen projection. In practice, it looks pretty goddamn great on Blu-ray. Oh, it looks phenomenal. Yeah, and it's, it reminds me a lot of, especially, like, the few bits we got to see in, like, Terminator of the future, where, like, the you actually see, like, the big stuff, but mm -hmm. realizing how shoestring of a budget that was, he still managed to create such a big, 
open world. Like, I think that's this big thing, is Cameron also didn't have the hugest budget on this movie, mm. but he still managed to both echo the original alien aesthetic, while also really expanding it, and really giving this world a bit more like vibrancy. Absolutely agree, and I argue that without James Cameron doing this, and without his tricks that he has and things like that, that we wouldn't have a franchise. If anybody else would have done this, I don't think it would have gone as long as it has. Right, because they're all chasing either the alien or alien's tail, mm-hmm. or both at certain points. Uh, and the next point. <laughs> Hold, put a pin in it, and that pin still needs to be on the dartboard. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I mean, we also haven't talked about Newt. How do you feel about Newt? I think we've addressed this on the show before. I usually have a problem with little, like savant kid characters for some reason it bothers me i think newt is a very quintessential piece of this movie it gives ripley a reason to keep fighting there'd be no point to go through this again but she gets this little girl and now she wants to protect this little girl like we said the maternal instincts or whatever you want to call it um i think newt is a very very important character yeah i mean she basically replaces jinx the cat is like the thing that she has to save um, at the end yeah. of the movie. Um, but in a, in a way that like still works, I think Carrie Henn does a great job of being a haunted child who at the same time still feels like a child, which is the bigger thing. Like With that trope you're talking about, like, oh, savant kids, it only really affects me and really is a problem when the kid doesn't feel like a kid at all. Like, a kid can still be smart. Sure. But yeah, they should well, also yeah. feel like... I call it all kids idiots. Right, but like, uh, but my point is just that, like, if you still feel like the same thing, like this character is a child, it works out pretty well, especially considering like bits like her putting on the helmet, and saluting Ripley, and all this other stuff. It's very cute. Yeah. Um, but at the but at the same time, it also works. It's just like she's this victim who has trauma and has completely lost her family, but finds someone in Sigourney Weaver, who we should mention was uh, nominated for a Best Actress Oscar in an amazing feat for then and now to this day. Uh, but she earns it. Oh, dude. Every bit of it. I, You know, honestly, I didn't know that until doing research for this episode. And that still is like, I can't fucking believe the Academy actually did that. That is insane to me. I have no idea who she lost to that year. But, well, this is easily her best Ripley performance of the entire franchise. There's no question. I mean, it, I think you're downplaying a bit of her performance in the first movie. I am not. Think? I think her performance in the first movie is fantastic. But I think this one, she takes everything she did in the first one and just turns the knob just a half a switch. And I, I just... This is when Ripley became Ripley that we all know. Right. Uh, by the way, she lost to Marlene Matlin for Children of a Lesser God. Is that the is that the deaf lady? Yes. Uh, I guess I really can't say anything too bad, or can I? <laughs> you shouldn't. Well, I, I would probably, not like you to yeah, say anything. <laughs> what I was saying when comparing it to the original performance is less that, like, I, I think there's not a huge, massive gulf, mm-hmm. but the difference that puts this over the notch, I agree, is her best Ripley performances. In that first movie, she feels like a very confident, but still, like, workabout woman. Like, she's definitely just like, look, I'm here to do my job, and I don't want to jeopardize anybody on here, so... Just don't fuck with me. Right. People end up fucking with her anyway, and she isn't as willing to fight back as much. She does, obviously, like, there's that point where uh, John Hurt's trying to get in the ship. She's like, no, get the fuck out of here. And then he comes on, and she's like, all right, I guess, fuck me. And, yeah, everyone dies. Yeah. And now, yeah. she, having known that, having with that knowledge, she comes into this movie just like, I'm not fucking around. Yeah, right. You idiots. Like, this is going to completely blow up in your face, which is a beat they repeat so many times in the other movies. 
about like you guys are fucking idiots and this is gonna all blow up in your face oh whatever oh i know why wouldn't you just fucking listen to her we could learn so much from these aliens adam like they have acid blood and they're awful monsters there's so much to learn we could weaponize them yeah good fucking luck <laughs> yeah it's uh it's a shame we don't trust her that often uh, it's almost as if we should listen to women Anyway, (laughs) but, but anyway, uh, seriously, dude, (laughs) I love the little seriously dude, but (laughs) I'm laughing for other reasons. Anyway, um, with Ripley here, especially, I think it's such an iconic performance that so many other sort of like attempts at strong female character, trademark, copyright, like trope, Mm -hmm. like how many people have tried to replicate this. And what do you think is missing from those versions that Sigourney Weaver just encompasses here? Sigourney Weaver. Um, And the problem is in a lot of the later ones, uh, the ones who emulate, they really play up the sex appeal. Like she's sexy, but she's still tough. They never really do that with Sigourney Weaver in these movies. I mean, granted. Well, until the next movie. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. But still, and then the movie after that, especially. Know, as far as these two, the the ones that birthed the character, yeah, she's a female, and yes, there are comments made about her, but they she's not scantily clad a lot. I mean, there's the one scene where she's in the t-shirt and her underwear, but so. It's treated more as something nonchalant, because especially she's in, like, military standard white undergarments anyway. So it's just like, yeah. she's just trying to fucking relax after a goddamn alien tack your perps. I... I completely agree. It's not played up too much. It's she's just a normal human being. Doesn't have any particular set of skills that make her super tough. She's just got a survival instinct. She's what you would hope the best of us would do in that situation. That's why I mean, Ellen Ripley goes down as literally my number one movie female and uh, lead, like tough girl in movies or whatever you want to call it. Anybody else? It could have become a cliche before there even was a cliche. But the fact that so many people try to emulate this and none of us really succeeded on this level, you got to have Sigourney Weaver. I think it's also missing the authentic vulnerability. Because there'll be points where they do that in other movies and it's just like, oh, she's this tough as nails gal, but she really has a sensitive side. And it feels more just like, oh, we just have to show off that she's more of a woman here because we were too afraid Mm -hmm. to let her like actually be like... What a trope. That is, I too. Know. Yeah, it's, it's bullshit. Oh, she just yelled at him. She gave him the business, but as soon as he left, she cried. Like, okay. Man. Yeah, I know. As, as opposed to here, like, when Ripley gets emotional, it's over something that genuinely means something. Like, when Newt disappears, and she's like, no, she's down there! She's still alive! She's down there! That means a lot more because of how much of, like, an actual defense she put up. And she's still very gung-ho to try and save her at that point. She's oh, not absolutely. breaking down and crying like, oh, I'm in a fetal position. Oh, she's just like, around. She duct tapes a flamethrower to a machine gun. Yup. I mean, that's pretty ballsy. It, it's all about showing that vulnerability while at the same time not sacrificing the integrity of the character. That's really what works. Even on the page, then Sigourney Weaver adds so much to that, obviously, as things go along. That's what I think is really missing from a lot of these type of characters. Yeah, I And, yeah, the, the fact that especially, obviously, we, I referenced this at the opening of the episode, but that fucking, get away from her, you bitch. It's iconic for a reason. It's such 100%. a fucking fantastic moment where, the, especially, the whole movie stops to have that happen. And yeah. in theory, that could seem really dumb. It, yeah, it could come across easily as like an Arnold one-liner or something like that, but it doesn't at all. It Like, you instantly get amped up. You're like, yeah, get her! <laughs> you know, it's fucking awesome. I completely agree with you. 
and another thing, before we get into final thoughts, I really need to talk about, um, uh, an underrated, or fucking just great element of this movie is James Horner's score, uh, which is spectacular, and it's especially interesting to find out given, uh, he only did it in about three weeks before the movie came out. Good lord, man. What has it been with the last couple of movies we've talked about where they're just rushed, hugely rushed productions? Three yeah. weeks? Yeah. Wow. And it's almost, it's not as iconic as, say, like, some of Cameron's other work, like Titanic or Terminator or things like that. But you definitely know this music. If you hear it, you know it's from Aliens. I mean, especially the whole lead up to the ship leaving that one area. Mm-hmm. just like, ba, 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 ba. It's a great build up <laughs> to that whole thing. I thought we were just uh, listening to the soundtrack. <laughs> I'm living on the James Horner legacy. Uh, You're like Michael exactly. Winslow from Police Academy. I would have never known. Didn't you hear those sound effects earlier when I was going all my fucking own mouth? It's great. Um, but but yeah, I, I think that that score especially works to really heighten just how much this, and especially considering James Horner did recycle a lot of stuff from like some of his earlier scores. Like the uh, Battle Beyond the Stars, which is an independent Roger Corman movie, he has used that score so much for stuff like Wrath of Khan and Search for Spock later. Obviously, he's recycled that score. He did a lot sure. for some of these other movies. It's a great effect. Obviously, it's a phenomenal score. Most good composers do that, though. That's why when you hear a John Williams score, you know it's John Williams. But no, I I can't agree with that. And all John Williams scores are incredibly distinct and not at all similar. You're right. I'm sorry. My fault. How dare I? Uh, um, but you know what? We've talked about aliens for quite a bit. Let's go ahead and get into our final thoughts. Adam, your final thoughts on aliens. Aliens is one of the rare sequels to where I don't know that you really need to see the first one to appreciate how cool this movie is. It will definitely help if you see the first one. I just think this is one of the most perfect sequels of all time. I, I think it's a perfect sci-fi action horror movie. The, I love the extended cast. Paul Reiser is such a fucking prick. You get to see Ripley become the Ripley that we all know and love, who is like the greatest tough female of movie history. Plus the practical effects, the design of the queen, the, like we joked about earlier, the, you know, forklift mech. I mean, it just all works so well in this movie. There is not one thing, maybe, well, maybe the orange paint on Vasquez, but not one thing on this movie that I would really take out. I think this is damn near a perfect movie. Yeah, I mean, like I say, I still prefer the first film, Alien, but at the same time, this is such a great follow-up, such a great companion piece, and Ripley works so well as not just one of the best just female, but any action heroes of all time, I think because it does a great job mixing that vulnerability with a lot of genuine, just like, kick-ass spirit. I think she's very in line with someone like a John McClane in that regard. Yeah, I, I can agree where, with that, yeah. Early John McClane. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Not like not driving cars into helicopters, John McClane. Not quite, yeah. no. Um, but uh, Ripley has so much like actual pathos going on that makes her a very well-rounded three-dimensional character throughout all these movies. Even in some of the lesser movies, Sigourney Weaver does such a great job of continuing that spirit because she genuinely cares about this character a lot. She's said every time she's gone back to this franchise, she's always said, like, hey, I need to make sure that the Ellen Ripley character works. Like, even on this movie, she got the script from James Cameron, she was like, I'll do it, but you gotta, like, tweak some things here. Ripley wouldn't do that, or this or that. And he did it, because he respects her that much, and admittingly, 
he should Absolutely. because she really knows exactly what this character is all about and all the other like supporting people and the effects and it's a great display of all of Cameron's uh, great tricks that he would later display so well and get him millions and billions of dollars at the box office. Uh, it's a it's a great sequel for sure. But uh, let's go into one that's maybe not the greatest sequel with Alien Resurrection. Who are you? Ripley, Ellen, Lieutenant First Class. Ellen Ripley died 200 years ago. You're a thing. They grew you in a lab. Now they brought it out of you. Not all the way out. What is it? you were dead yeah i get that a lot so the alien franchise from aliens uh went to alien 3 or cubed whichever that's the most ridiculous thing ever but yes go ahead (laughs) i don't know i still think my favorite is scriforum where they replaced the four with yeah that's probably the best (laughs) or uh seven right of course yes uh, interestingly, same cinematographer for this movie. Ah, that makes a lot of sense. Right, yes. Because uh, after Alien 3, um, directed by David Fincher, and there's a whole bunch of shit about that, that movie sort of killed off Ripley in a very definitive way, where she dove into molten metal. So it's like, okay, she seems pretty dead. I'd argue at that point. But they decided a few years after that, in 1997, specifically on uh, November... 26, 1997, Thanksgiving weekend, everybody, seeing the Alien movie. We got uh, Alien Resurrection, the fourth entry in the franchise, which uh, this time, after having, you know, Ridley Scott, James Cameron, uh, David Fincher, they get uh, Jean-Pierre Jeunet, uh, who is a French director, probably best known for Amelie, which he would do after this. But uh, before this, he did movies like Delicatessen and City of Lost Children. Um, which have a sort of very ethereal, nightmarish quality to them that made him not the worst choice for an alien movie. What probably did make him the best choice was the fact that he did not speak a lick of English. Yeah, and that's pretty obvious that there was a lot lost in translation in this. But seeing City of Lost Children, I completely agree with you. Like, he's a pretty good choice to do it. But... This movie is so off the wall, fucking crazy. Right, and I think a lot of that, from in terms of the translation, comes from uh, his style. Very much conflicts with the script as written by Joss Whedon, who at this point um, had done like the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie, and was actually this aired around the time of the second season of Buffy airing. Um, and even he had been nominated for an Oscar at this point for uh, co-writing Toy Story. I never knew Joss Whedon co-wrote Toy Story. Yeah, uh. he uh, did a draft of Toy Story where apparently he created especially a lot of the stuff for Rex. Apparently, it was his big contribution that continued. Well, that makes me hate him a little less. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can get. And I think the the thing is, uh, you can also see a lot of his sort of uh, stuff that would later carry on. Where this also feels like with the crew, very much a prototype for his series Firefly. Oh, with, without question. He just forgot to add the charm part of that. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's yeah. That's pretty fair. They're all uh, the bruiser guy. Every single character. <laughs> right. Okay, Jane. They're all Jane. Yes. Um, I really, really kind of dug this movie when it first came out. A, because of the cast. I mean, the cast is fucking stacked in this movie. As far as character actors. Like, I love Michael Wincott. I love Ron Perlman. I love Dan Hedaya. Brad Dorff, of course, who was fucking 
weird. <laughs> Rad Dorf steals this movie. With he some really of, kind of does. Especially like the, that scene where he's training the alien to fear his steam powers with the button. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And he almost like comes onto the alien in a weird way. Yeah, and he does his teeth. Yes. Like does his jaw against the glass. It's very fucking bizarre. But this movie tried to take what worked with aliens and blend it with Alien 3 and the first alien. And it just became such just a fucking tonal clusterfuck of a movie. I like the movie for what it is, but at the same time, I don't know why I like it. <laughs> like, what is it? It's it's so off the wall crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, Sigourney Weaver's giving it her all in the movie. I mean, she really is. None of my issues are with Sigourney Weaver, because I think the stuff with, in this case, um, after, you know, they killed her in Alien 3... They made a clone of Ripley like 200 years after she died. And that's who right, Sigourney combined Weaver. combined her with the alien blood. Right, because there's a bit of like the DNA left over because in that movie she had an alien queen in her at the end and all this sure. other stuff. So there's a bit of that DNA mixed in. And that makes for, at the very least, a very interesting term, which I believe is what attracted her to doing this. Which is, mm-hmm. oh, hey, I can be like a weird, almost like, um, okay, what's that Deep Space Nine character, like the sexy robot lady? No, seven no, of seven of nine. Yeah, she's just kind of like a seven of nine thing where she's sort of sultry but also very dangerous, and it's a very right. different performance from anything of like the original Ellen Ripley, which is also just kind of interesting. The idea of like you bring her back from the dead and she's completely unhinged and weird. It's almost like Sigourney Weaver's crow performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, that's very accurate. But I will say the scene with all the proto Ripley clones is nightmare fuel. No, it's really good. That's the scene where I think really like a lot of the sort of interesting thematics really come to play. And it also feels very much distinctly like a Joss Whedon scene, which apparently they didn't change much of the script in here from this. And the script was going around, it's like, oh man, this is a great script. It's all around Hollywood. It's like, oh man, aliens coming back in a weird, interesting fucking way. And there's elements like that that you can really see what attracted people to this idea, especially with like that. That scene is such, it's a weird, just like, Hallway of Horrors, and then Sigourney Weaver plays this deformed one that's still alive on the oh, table. Oh, so scary. Yep. Kill me! You're like, oh, fucking hell. Oh, it's... And Sigourney Weaver, as the non-deformed one, is acting her ass off in yes. that scene, too. Uh, and plus, dude, you got, like, the ragtag Motley Crew group of space smugglers and all that, like, you know, eight Han Solos, but none with the charisma. Mm-hmm. I mean... <laughs> but still, you can always get behind those type of characters because they're just ultimate tough guys. Yeah, Rob, always. Well, as a, let's put it this way. As a preteen or just-turned teenager, you can get behind those characters as a boy. As a teenager who watched this movie, I was like... Because the main reason I picked this is this is the one alien movie I watched the least. Like, I've definitely seen Aliens. This might be the one I've seen the most. <laughs> oh, man, this is just budding hits. It's perfect. Um, no, 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 no. I, I, I'm not, the thing is, I'm not disagreeing with anything mm-hmm. you're saying. Right. I think I've seen this one the most because it was the most accessible at the time. I mean, this movie used to play on television. Plus, I was always, I really liked Michael Wincott for some reason. Like, there was a time where I'm like, Michael Wincott's my favorite character actor. Which one is Michael Wincott again? Michael Wincott's the captain of them. He's the one who's the he's top dollar. Oh, my world. least favorite one. Okay. 
Right, exactly. <laughs> the one who does nothing in this movie. No, who's so terrible. And you're right, he is top dollar from uh, Crow. The Crow, and he's right. guy, of, guy of Gisborne and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And right. I just like, I think it's probably his voice that I always liked. I mean, no, he's but, distinctive. He's fucking, uh, really sticks out in this fucking movie, like all these fucking people in this group. That's the thing is, I've watched this one the least, and I wanted to revisit it because I hadn't seen it in probably about a decade or so. Um, since I watched the, like, original DVD version of the anthology from, like, my dad's house or whatever. So it's been a while, and I wanted to revisit especially because this is the one that, even more so than I think in Alien 3, a lot of people really downplay. It's like, oh man, it's the one that killed Alien for so long. And I give it credit for doing some interesting ideas, but I think in execution, it's, um, like you mentioned, it's very much like a weird stew, but it's also, at many points, um, aggressively annoying. It's it's yeah. aggressively just trying to really push the boundaries of like oh man this is so late nineties like none of those earlier alien movies felt distinctly necessarily of their time as much as they're like oh they kind of transcend the time because they feel like yeah they, well that that's a really good point yeah I can agree with that right I suppose oh. this is so late nineties in a way that's oh yeah really piss poor because you can also see like i mentioned with the sort of contrasting tones like so much of the dialogue feels like it's supposed to be sort of like tongue-in-cheek joss whedon wink nudge kind of thing and john pierre junet is treating it so seriously and it's just it's fucking awful just yeah, hearing some of this fucking like especially there's a bit where it's Ron Perlman and Dominique Pignon, who is a recurring actor in Junet's films, are like on the ship and they're like, oh, hey, what's that noise that's going on? I think it's us. Whoa. But they play it Which way too seriously. He's the guy who looks like Dom- a frog. Oh, God. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Joder, you asshole. <laughs> that guy where he's got the shotgun built into his wheelchair. Yeah. Yeah. Who's trying, like, every accent at once, but doesn't quite achieve any specific accent. It's very bizarre. (laughs) And Ron Perlman, hey, I will say, Ron Perlman was never, like, buffer than he's ever been in this movie. True. Like, he's truly intimidating, but this movie is a huge misfire in a lot of parts. Mm -hmm. A lot of points. But I really want to get into why you think uh, Michael Wincott's character is the most hated character in the movie. Not the most hated character in the movie overall. I have a different one for that. But of, like, the group, I really yeah. dislike him just because he's constantly just, oh, hey, look, I'm speaking in this hushed tone, and I'm leading this battalion, even though I'm really not. Um, it, it feels, especially, we mentioned the Firefly thing, he is like if Malcolm Reynolds was never the butt of any joke. That makes sense. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which makes him so aggressively... He's Han Solo with none of the swagger, yeah, and none, none of the charm. Right, and none of those characters, because they're all playing that same tough guy, have any chemistry yeah. with each other. There's no engaging back and forth. It's just a lot of, hey, fuck you, dude. Well, yeah, fuck you, too. Blah. <laughs> fuck you. Blah. We're bros, though. Bros! Yeah, except for Winona Ryder, who, like, we've criticized Winona Ryder previously. I think this is my least favorite performance she's ever done. She's terrible. I really hate her in this because the robot characters in these alien movies are, like, always my favorite characters. Like, we mentioned Mm -hmm. Bishop or Ash or even, like, David later on. Um, She is like, oh, hey, I'm playing a robot, so I'm going to play it completely stilted just so we can have the twist later on that she's a robot, which is so fucking dumb. I hate it. I hate it so much. Why do we need to have this be a twist? Why is this? It's so ungodly. And the fact that she is supposed (laughs) to have, like, this sort of chemistry with Sigourney Weaver where it's, like, almost an implied lesbian relationship. Yeah, she, like, wants to kill her to begin with, and then 
now she's like sort of like into her and it's just it feels so forced and phony Yep, but then she completely forgets about that when you have my actual least favorite character of the movie, Leland Orser, come in as the cryogenic guy. Thank you. I was literally going to say that ten minutes ago. I was like, <laughs> yeah, but fucking Leland Orser, who I really do like as a character actor. He's not bad. Yeah. No, he's he's not bad. It's just the pro- this is another problem where, like, on paper, I could see that being, like, a funny gag in a more tongue-in-cheek alien movie of like he's this guy who has an alien side of him and they're like oh we're gonna keep him around and then he's gonna do that gag where he goes through the guy's head which that gag is a in theory is a great idea but that character's so whiny and annoying and it's also just like why is he coming along you're right exactly i was gonna say that kind of betrays the whole ripley character and all these other characters who want nothing to do with these aliens they they don't they know that this thing's gonna burst out of his chest they would just kill him. Well, I think especially like, it's more on Renona Ryder because this immediately version of Ripley is fucking weird anyway. <laughs> but yeah, just Leland Orser is such like an aggressively annoying character who's just constantly blathering. And especially the whole scene where he keeps getting shot as the alien's about to burst out of him. But he keeps going over just so he can do the gag. It's such a labored way of getting to that gag. I don't get why we have to get into that fucking point just for the stupid gag. And there's no authentic way we could do this. To Especially, it's just so we can also kill off that one character who I don't get why they also brought on either. The guy who was, like, the superior to Brad Dorf as a scientist. Yeah, um, uh, J.E. Freeman Mason. Yeah, that yeah. guy. Yeah, where he's sitting in the cafeteria with Ripley and is just giving her the business for no reason. Why not? We trained you. Yeah. yeah and Leyland Yutani went over to Walmart. Like, <laughs> Dan Hedaya, too. Like, I really like Dan Hedaya. First of all, shave your back. Second of all, <laughs> the, the, the second hairiest man of the 90s next to Robin Williams. I don't know, dude. This guy's pretty bad. They could have had, like, a Sasquatch fight of hair. A hair off. Like yeah, it's a hair off. A hair off. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, he, he's also, like, he's the one who's playing it in, like, the jokey tongue-in-cheek exactly. Joss Whedon movie. Except, but to 500. Like, he is a cartoon character yeah. in this movie. In a way that's, like, you're not in the same movie as anyone else. But it would have worked if everybody else was close to that level. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'd argue Brad Dorff is probably at that level, too. But, but at least in a way, he's like more slithering like a snake. So it's, as opposed to Dan Hedaya, it's just like, I'm not gonna let Ellen do that. Like, that's his fucking character. It's, and it's, especially his death scene, where it's oh, just it's... like, oh, it goes through his head and he break, gets Hold out a bit of his brain. <laughs> like in a like the thing is Adam in a better movie that felt more consistent I would love that moment sure that would be so awesome and in practice of this it's just like it's where, where's like the Looney Tunes score under this to play us off it yes, just feels I agree. It, it's like you mentioned it's all such a inconsistent mesh of whatever the fuck is going on but you know we haven't talked much about the aliens especially considering they uh do some interesting things with them later on. They do stuff. Yeah, they swim. But I mean, sure, swim. That's the that's the no. Weird but thing. if you're talking the newborn, I mean, we'll get to that. But I think with okay. with the other aliens, this is Tom Woodruff and Alec Gillis who sort of took over doing the alien effects from Alien Three onward. And mainly, I 
you kind of mentioned that you thought this was the lesser special effects stuff. I think aside from the newborn, honestly, I don't mind the effects that much in this. I expected worse for like 1997. Well, let me clarify. I think the CGI is terrible. I think even the CGI, I don't think it's as terrible as other 1997 CGI. I think for, the, the especially like when they're climbing up, I remember that being a lot worse than it looked. And there's stuff like, I think yeah. there's a problem of like the lighting isn't quite right. That's the biggest problem. It doesn't match. No. Yeah, yeah. Right. right. But at the same time, I don't think I mean, they, they do the best approximation as they can of like, oh, hey, here's an alien with legs swimming around, which you couldn't really do practically. I, I don't mind necessarily them doing sure. that. Um, I have a bigger issue with the um, the newborn, mainly because it is mm-hmm. a completely practical effect. And the problem is, like, it's that weird thing where, unlike, say, the alien mutation of Sigourney Weaver who's like on the table and can't move this one's supposed Uh to be mobile and you never feel like it's actually mobile and also why the fuck did you do this if you're not gonna do anything with it it's such a like oh my god this big reveal it's the newborn (sighs) I I agree it's clearly like a torso yeah just being moved around yeah uh, I don't think you ever see it in complete form. No, especially when it, like, bites Brad Dorf's head, and it's like, Brad Dorf's like, oh no! Cut, and then cut back, and Brad Dorf's head's bitten. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this, though, the noises it made are terrifying. The sound design is pretty good, yeah. I'm not... Yeah, the sound design's pretty fucking scary, but no, I agree with you. Some of the design I kind of like where... It... Its face resembles a skull, it's even got the flap of skin in the nose area. But they also went to be like a dog! Like, what? Yeah, they really did. It's fucking bizarre. Like, it's, it's that problem where it's like they want to have that sympathetic turn where, like, Ripley feels bad about it and, like, I'm dying because it's like, oh, you're like its mother. Like, on paper I could see something interesting with that, but in practice it's just like, I don't feel any sympathy for this weird mutant thing. This shouldn't be. Where's the flamethrower? <laughs> you should have immediately just destroyed this. Yeah, I agree. Oh, it's my baby. No, dude, fuck this thing. This thing is an abomination on every level. You know, I like this movie for what it is, but... I can't say I didn't like it. I'm entertained by it, but it's a complete betrayal of Ripley character. She would murder all of these things. She would kill the Leland Orser immediately. Well, no, my thing is that, like, I don't necessarily mind them quote-unquote betraying the Ripley character because it technically isn't Ripley. It's more the problem of everything Uh else is so trying hard to be, like you mentioned, alien and aliens that it just sort of, like, feels incongruous with this cool new element that you're kind of streamlining this way. I I would prefer almost doing that as opposed to, like, having this giant group of, like, basically mercenaries. Like, fucking Raymond Cruz is playing, like, the next generation of colonial marines, basically, in this movie. Yeah, oh, yeah, 100%. Yep, Tuco from Breaking Bad, everybody. God, he is. Yeah, that's what he is. So much macho machismo shit in this movie that some of it really kind of works for me. Like, I hate to say it, but like, even when Chrissy's got the guns that shoot out of, I can't take them off, they're attached to my arms, and he shoots against the wall and it ricochets. Like, that's so stupid. But it just, for some reason, you're like, yeah. Like, it'd feel right, right now, it would work in like a Hobbs and Shaw type movie. Right, in a movie that didn't treat itself overly seriously. And, like, if if you gave, like, fucking um, that script to, say, I don't know, um, some who's, like, a serious director bullshit. Werner Herzog. 
One of her socks, Hobbs and Shaw, yes. If, if, if you gave him the script for Hobbs and Shaw, it would feel incongruous and weird. Uh, but then again, I don't know, maybe he, he could have made, like, Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans, I guess. Which, yeah. <laughs> he could have done that. That's a movie that feels more in touch with what it's trying to be, as opposed to, like like we keep mentioning, this one has such a weird culture clash. It's like they put the batteries in the opposite way. Yeah, that makes sense. Would you call this one the last, uh, the least favorite of the franchise for you? Not of the whole franchise, because the AVP movies exist, obviously. Okay, well, um, take those out. Take those out. Just yes, uh, those out. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, 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 oh, yes. Even above Prometheus, I have a lot of problems with Prometheus. It doesn't feel as incongruous with its vision as this does. Like it, Prometheus, I don't feel like it's kind of trying to mix like an over-the-top horror movie with, like, a slow, methodical alien movie, but at least that feels more intentional than, like I said, a very over-the-top script and dialogue mixed with Jean-Pierre Junet trying to be sort of more like a over-the-top, almost commercial. Like, he even said in, like, the special features, like, I treated this like a commercial-only, you know, feature length, where, like, I believed what the... I did what the studio said because they gave me this job and I respect them for doing that and I want to do, like, what they want with this franchise. And that ends up feeling... like a fucking mess! Um, but at the same time, I don't think it's completely disposable. I think there's elements of it that I loathe. But I think it's a weird thing where I think the first half of this movie has a lot more interesting potential. There's cool bits. Like, we didn't talk about this yet, but the basketball scene... I think mm-hmm. is a cool way of introducing Ripley to these characters. And obviously Sigourney Weaver managed to make that shot after several takes in one take. Right. Uh, which was pretty awesome. But that was a cool way of showing that, like, she's the baddest motherfucker in that room. Mm-hmm. None of these guys who think they're so tough with their moonshine, I guess, that also turns into a shotgun. This shit's <laughs> hard to come by. <laughs> right. So that was a good way to, like, sort of solidify her character as, no, she's still badass, but she's also half alien. What? It's a stupid movie. No. Yeah. It is, man. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm so shocked by this. My favorite alien movie. I know, bro. But on the basic caveman level, you could enjoy this for just pure schlock, I think. I, I think mean, it's yeah. an entertaining bad movie. It's the one that feels the most sort of like the Roger Corman schlock that James mm-hmm. Cameron and some of these other directors came from. Um, putting put on the big screen, which I'll also give credit, it doesn't feel like that any other franchise would be able to make a weird decision like this. Like any other of like these big, especially sort of like sci-fi franchises, they'd be able to pull something as fucking weird as this movie is. Like we addressed in the opening of the show, that's, I kind of think, what gives the Alien franchise the legs it has. At least they go sort of different routes. Like, they try different things, whereas that's why a lot of the other franchises, the sci-fi horror, in particular, Terminator, which, oh my god, the the new one. Stop. Hashtag dark thing. (laughs) Arnold's back again. Whoa! Like, who gives a fuck? But anyways... That and, like, Predator and everything else is like, dude, it's the same formula over and over and over. At least with Alien, every movie feels unique in a certain way. 
Right, yeah, and if anything, that's what makes those AVP movies a lot more disappointing, so they feel much more like generic blockbuster stupidity. And also, especially with, like, the worst one, because, you know what, as much issues as I have with this movie, um, I do like the cinematography, as we mentioned. It kind of feels like, weirdly, the Alien franchise, um, despite having so many different connecting genres and shit with each director, having different stakes and visual touches, they do kind of feel like they're each progressively getting more and more shitty-looking, to the point where this one almost looks like piss yellow sapia tone with how like to match the world and how shitty it's gotten in like the hundreds of years since the first alien like i i do like some of that progression as opposed to say in alien versus predator requiem you can't see a fucking thing at all nope you know and i will say this too not only is cinematography pretty good it feels accurate for the alien franchise to where mm-hmm. yeah avp and avp requiem you're like what the fuck Requiem especially. Fuck. That movie makes me so mad. Because especially that's another one where it's like, oh no, we totally love the Alien movies. Look at all these characters ripped off from fucking Alien Aliens, all this other shit. And we're not going to have you actually see them for most of the movie. (laughs) It's so fucking stupid. But you know, we're getting off track of Alien Resurrection, Adam. So why don't you go ahead and do your final thoughts on Alien Resurrection? I think Alien Resurrection is a good, bad movie. I think action is shot very well. I think the cinematography is, you know, decent. The acting is kind of hit and miss all over the place. I mean, like we talked about, some people are really fucking hamming it up and others are playing it dead serious. Uh, Whether that's production issues or not, I'm assuming it probably is. Um, If you're going just prior to the AVP franchise to where it's just these four, then this is easily the worst one. But if you include the AVP, then I believe this one's better than both of those. You know, there's fun stuff in this, like the hanging upside down on the ladder. And it's, it's very, like I said, Statham-ish. And it would have worked if everybody was on that level. But nobody really is. If they would have pl- made this movie like a transporter movie, then this movie would be amazing. But they didn't, and so it's kind of a fart in the wind. Yeah, um, if they made this more of what, like I said, the weird thing is this wasn't really a production issue, apparently. Because all the special features I've heard, just like, everyone had the most fun making this movie. Everyone had a great time, there were no arguments. Like, all the other Alien movies were grueling, and short-budgeted, and horrible to make. Um, and in some cases we're like fucking Frankenstein together and taken away from the director. It, this movie, everyone had a fun time, everyone enjoyed themselves, and good on you for that. But the problem really just is, you get a guy like Jean-Pierre Junet, who makes movies I love, keep in mind. Like, I love Delicatessen, I love The City of Lost Children, I love Amelie. Uh, but those movies all have sort of like a dark somewhat comedic touch in certain places, but ultimately feel more like, say, a Sam Raimi, Mm -hmm. um, like, movie, as opposed to, like, I think what Joss Whedon was writing was very much a post-modern sci-fi take that obviously he would do a much better job of with Firefly. Like, I I, I give it credit, if nothing else, for being the trial run for that for him. Um, But when you just meld those two, it's like peanut butter and gasoline. It just doesn't quite, (laughs) you know... Well, come together. I don't. Well, I don't know. I think. Well, it depends on if there's peanut oil in it. God damn it. <laughs> anyway, Alien Resurrection has some cool ideas. Has a few, 
few fun bits. Uh, Brad Dorf is fun, especially we didn't talk about his introduction to the newborn is the best part of that whole sequence. Just like, oh look at the little baby! Oh how beautiful! Oh, I know. He's going really for it in a way that's fun. Like that's more fun than say like a Dan Hedaya who was just like, I am a Simpsons character in the middle of this fucking alien movie. <laughs> just, that's that's the problem. It's like, everyone feels like they're in a very different movie from each other, and the most interesting one is when we're Sigourney Weaver's being kind of a weird, somewhat sexy, but still incredibly disturbing alien-human hybrid. Yeah, because everybody's really wet. Yep, everyone's very sweaty. Super sweaty. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. But, you know, for all its faults, it's like you mentioned, it is very distinct and unique and it is not the worst of the overall alien franchise when you get avp and avpr into it uh but it's not super far off for me either so that is the end of our discussion of our two entries in this alien franchise before we end up picking our movies for next week at the end of this episode which stick around for um we are going to read some feedback because uh, every single monday on the at DEDB pod Facebook and Twitter page. Uh, we ask you about your favorite and least favorite examples of whatever topic that we're doing. And uh, we're going to read them right here uh, from people like you about the Alien franchise. First, uh, James Rodriguez, our guest from just last episode, says, I actually like Prometheus and Alien Covenant, especially for Michael Fassbender as David. I do think they'd be better films if they weren't connected to the Alien franchise, though, as these films strain to bridge these new entries to the classic franchise are at their weakest. I'm less forgiving of Alien vs. Predator. You cross over two fantastic movie monsters, and that is the result? Fuck off. Uh, Brian Kane says, Aliens has been my favorite movie ever since I was a kid. Um, the director's cut of Alien 3 is tied with Alien for second favorite of the franchise. Prometheus and Covenant are at least visually beautiful. Maybe Ridley Scott should retire from Hollywood and get a comfy gig filming Rick Steves Europe episodes. Jacob Schott says, Favorite characters almost all happen to be androids. Ash, Bishop, and David. Uh, Ripley, of course, and Hudson being quite possibly the most quotable character ever um avp installments have never felt quite canon haven't seen any to be honest and for all its flaws i enjoyed prometheus haven't seen covenant yet of the ripley canon movies the first three aliens are all excellent in my book two three and one in that order with resurrection in a way distant fourth and then uh, Stuart Brooks says, uh, been a fan of the AVP universe for a long time. Have to say, it doesn't quite get any better than Aliens. Also, the Dark Horse comic line has always been fucking amazing lore. We didn't talk about it much here, but especially with like Alien 3, because we've, as you mentioned, talked about it previously. Um, I give a lot more respect to Alien 3 now than I did previously. Um, I don't quite like it, but at the same time, especially the assembly cut... I think it's doing a lot more daring, interesting things and has a few much more memorable characters than people give it credit for. Like, especially um, the Charles S. Dutton in that movie is phenomenal. Oh, he's fucking awesome. Very underrated character. He's so good. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, James, thanks for being on, buddy. Yeah. Uh, everyone else. Who's ever everybody. been on? <laughs> we hate all of you. <laughs> we hate everyone. <laughs> None of you were British. That was the problem. <laughs> That's the problem. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think everything else we've uh, pretty much covered here. Um, I think we typically agree with all of them, especially, you know, that while they're not, might not be good, but Prometheus and Covenant look gorgeous. I, I agree. They're polished. They're beautiful. The character design, the spaceship design, everything just gorgeous it's just the movies as a whole don't really gel i think it just has the problem of aside from david there isn't one really interesting character in the bunch 
I'd argue that uh, Numi Rapace, or Numi Rapace, however you say her name, her character in the first one had a lot of potential for them to kill her off unceremoniously in the second one. You're like, well... I mean, she uh, managed to survive a calamari abortion. That was pretty hardcore. That was intense. That was a fuck, And she acted her ass off in that scene. Yeah, it was like one of those claw machines, too, where they had to get the calamari. <laughs> and I never win those. I never win those, and I try every time. Now, imagine trying to get it out of your stomach, too. That's pretty hardcore. <laughs> I do have a question, though, of who would you want to see make an alien movie? Oh, that's a tough one, man. Um, you know, back in the day, who would have been great was like a Cronenberg. Right, but we're, we're not looking in the past, Adam. We're looking to... We're now. talking now? Yes. Oh, fuck me. Uh, I almost said Duncan Jones, but then I saw Mute, and I'm like, oh. You know, for me, the, the thing is, with any of these different alien movies, like, what it feels so interesting is they kind of pluck these people out of like, early points in their careers. Like, Ridley Scott, like, had only made, like, one movie before Alien. James Cameron only had made Terminator and, like, Piranha 2. Um, David Fincher, that was his first movie. It's funny you put it that way. I mean, look at it. it it's a star-making franchise. Right. That's that's what... And then, like, Jean-Pierre yeah. Genet was his first American film, obviously, and he'd made only French movies before that. I wouldn't mind picking somebody who's, like, made an interesting first impression or several, like, to me, like, the, these guys who I feel are very underrated are um, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who have done stuff like Spring and The Endless, I think are great sort of, like, I don't know either of those. indie horror directors um, who have done, hmm. I think, such a great phenomenal job of especially making really engaging character-focused movies that kind of sneak up the horror onto you, which I think would be perfect at this point for an alien movie. Homeboy who did Mandy would be pretty sweet, too. Oh, yeah, the Possumandalos. It's some, like, very green Yeah, we'll just call him. Like, we'll just call him. <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't mind that either. Yeah, somebody who has a very distinct visual style. I'm going to post a question. Do you want it to continue? Um, I wouldn't mind necessarily if you especially sort of, like, go more toward, like, future Earth. Doing stuff that hasn't quite been done in the franchise before. Because even, like, with Ridley Scott tying up his trilogy, I'm like, I'm curious only to if they get Michael Fassbender back as David to do just weird shit. Like, I'll watch that movie for that. But if you want to keep it going more long-term, I would definitely say just kind of go past the point of resurrection and show really, like, what sort of, like, future Earth especially, how and how that deals with, like, these alien creatures. I, I, I tend to agree with you. I'd like to see the franchise continue no Ripley. Right. And maybe no Android character. I don't know that the Android character is necessary and I mean you gotta be every movie in the franchise has an Android character except for the AVPs. Like I almost want like around the time that Prometheus was like in hushed murmur talks, I remember mm -hmm. hearing that like they had an original script that was mostly just aliens. Which I'm totally fine with. That sounds interesting, yeah. That's a really different take. But, unfortunately, we're going to get just a copy of what's already been done. That's how it tends to go. I would say that, but then I'm very curious about with this, like, Fox-Disney era, where, like, Disney at this point is in a sort of, like, fuck it, we can't lose kind of attitude. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it could go, I think, very dicey either way. It could be either... Hey, we it doesn't matter. You can do whatever the fuck you want on Disney Plus. That's like some weird shit. Or um <laughs> they'll be in the adult section of Disney Plus. They'll be age restricted. Um or it'll be like a Disney live action remake. 
but with alien. <laughs> so little mermaid, they're all xenomorphs. <laughs> well, not quite that. That sounds cool, but I'm. I'm <laughs> okay, I hated when that fucking Fox merger happened. Everyone was like, "Guys, you know, now the alien queen is a Disney princess." Oh, I know. That was such bullshit. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but no, I'm I'm thinking more like it, like just kind of what you mentioned. Repeat some similar things, but they get bigger stars, I guess. Like Will Smith is the Alien Queen. <laughs> no, let's not do. Let's that. Let's not do that. No, I agree. I'm more in the first camp, the former, on that. Yeah. Uh, but now to move on to some other feedback um, in relation to our last episode about Pixar films, uh, another former guest, Scott Johnson, said Arlo looks like one of those dinosaurs you soak in a glass of water and gets big. By the way, Scott Johnson, you fuck. <laughs> Apparently he's on my list now. <laughs> They're called Shrinky Dinks, you son of a bitch. No, wait, no, that's not... Oh, fuck, I'm wrong. Oh. Shrinky Dinks are the ones you put in the oven. Yes. Ah, uh, you know what? Fuck you, Scott, for making me be wrong. Truly, you are the fuck in this situation. I am the fuck. <laughs> but you know what? Fuck him, too. <laughs> um, and then Ryan Quarterman, another past guest, at Ryan underscore Quarterman on Instagram, says, and I'm doing this because he did emojis, so, good dinosaur is good. Well, good is a strong word. So, thank you, Ryan, for the no input. Good dinosaur is a good movie. It's not good. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Fucking Quarterman. We love Quarterman, though. Um, and then some general feedback, um, to be fair, this first one was because, um, Mike Vanderbilt at Mike Vanderbilt on Twitter, um, just tweeted out, Hey, you want me to promote something? I'll retweet it. And I was like, I got my podcast here. And he's like, looking for a new favorite podcast. This might be it. And then Stephen D at waiting FTH, uh, responded to the saying, I am balls deep in honors work at the moment. So I have nothing to promote myself, but I will completely vouch for double edge, double build. Hey, that's awesome. All right. So are you friends with Mike Vanderbilt? He follows me, but he follows a lot of people. I'm friends with him on Facebook. He's mm-hmm. a really hip dude. He's a hip-happening cat who knows what it's he's all about. He's a bartender. Yes. Which is awesome. And he's really into, like, 70s and 80s, like, when what would be considered then modern furniture and things like that. Right, and he's also written for, like, sites like AB Club and all this other stuff. For yeah, family. I don't care about it. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not here to fucking push him. But... <laughs> He's a cool dude, and Stephen D. Uh, he's he's a uh, he's like, a loyal fan since the beginning of the show, Adam. No, I know. I should say, isn't he somebody I've shit on before? I don't know. You shit on everybody. Yeah, well, I'm gonna shit on him again. Watch your language, Stephen D. For fuck's sake, yeah. Fucking asshole. <laughs> Uh, but thank all of you assholes for that feedback, and uh, thanks also to these assholes, uh, Chris Oliver, for the intro and outro music used on our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarda for the art for our show. She accepts commissions at fiverrwith2rs.com slash eescarda. And you can follow us assholes over at dedbpod on both Twitter and Facebook, where we post up those feelers about your favorite, least favorite movies in whatever topic we're doing. Uh, you can also email us feedback at doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. Or you can follow my own individual account at Not the Who's Tommy, where I post some musings and such. Um, and I also do writing at marianithomas.wordpress.com. Uh, right now I have a Toy Story 4 review that's up there, and uh, they, they managed to get it right at him. I was quite surprised. And it's a glorious glorious review in all honesty it's one of my favorite that you've uh, written oh shucks yeah i'm lying <laughs> fuck you man <laughs> oh you're gonna say that before the check clears 
No, no, it's beautiful. Ah! <laughs> You're like Red Door, just like, oh, look how beautiful it is. <laughs> yes, and that's where you can find Adam, uh, adoring newborn weird alien human hybrids. Yeah. No, I'm not doing any of that. I'm just, I'm for sweet, sweet death. <laughs> and if you want to keep him away from sweet, sweet death, make sure you subscribe to us on all the different podcast platforms. We're on the YouTubes. We're on the Spotify. We're on the Stitcher. We're on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever Tim Cook is going to turn that into at some point. Um, and make sure to rate, review, or just share us around on these platforms and more to give the show more visibility if you can. Yeah, why not? Takes a, takes a second. Just push the button. Push the button, Frank. Push the button. Yes. Uh, but now we got to push the button into doing our picking for next well, week. Well, are we doing a picking? I think I'm the only one picking. Well, that's true. You are, because uh, usually for new listeners, at the end of every episode, we pick the movies for our next episode, uh, where I have two good movies, Adam has two bad movies, and each of us assign numbers between 1 and 10, and the other one will pick a different number between 1 and 10, and then whenever one gets closest, we get our good and our bad feature. But, because uh, with this episode coming up, the 2019 So Far episode, where we're doing a good and bad feature from the year now that it's halfway over, which is weird to think. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like the forward progression of time. None of us really yeah. do. No, I don't believe in time. Time is a construct, man. <laughs> uh, but we're doing a good and a bad feature from a very weird year that 2019 has been so far. But I have the two good movies, and Adam had two bad movies, but uh, I'm not picking any of his because you all did that through our Facebook and Twitter oh. feed. Uh, you all voted in polls for the... Two films, which, Adam, they were which two movies? They were Replicas and Glass. And by the way, how many people fucking voted? We had 20 on Facebook. How many on fucking Twitter? Nine. Nine. Okay, so 29 people. Fuck <laughs> you <laughs> all. Well, because what won, Adam, between those two? Fucking Replicas. It's because fucking Keanu is having a hot moment right now. So everyone's on about it. And I only picked that as a throwaway because I'm like, well, I heard this was bad, so I'll throw this in. And of course that's the one that won. Oh, fucking course. <laughs> we appreciate everyone who voted. Yeah, uh, thank you, everybody. That was really nice of you. Yes, we we do appreciate that. Um, and, you know, even uh, a bit of feedback left over here. Um, Joel Copeland at Real E-E-L, uh, Joel Copeland, says, Glass isn't good, but Replicas is truly misguided and silly. Easy choice. Fuck you, Joel. <laughs> uh, for that, so Replicas will be our bad feature. Though, to say a bit about Glass, we've said this off mic to each other, Adam. It's the one M. Night movie where I am very in the middle about it, and I'm not sure how to quite feel. I, I absolutely agree. I think it's two-thirds of a fucking really cool movie. But I think they just blow it all. At the 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 climax is just ridiculous. Yeah, in in various different ways. It's it's not. I don't think it's quite the disaster a lot of people have said it is, but it's no. still definitely a very uneven film to say the least. But uh, we're doing replicas instead. The Keanu movie Keanu doesn't want you to talk about um, in the middle of his comeback yeah. tour, uh, which we'll be talking about next week. But now, Adam, for my two good choices, and I'm between one and ten. Five, right down the middle. Okay, at number four, um, I had a movie that, speaking of M. Night Shyamalan, kind of reminds me of some of his uh, tropes, but in a much better degree, I have Jordan Peele's follow-up to Get Out, Us. 
Ooh, you and I have talked about this off mic before. Yes. This will be a fun conversation. A lot of fun things to talk about with that movie. And then at number nine, I had um, a movie that I think is very underrated and is my personal favorite movie of the year so far. The Robert Pattinson-led High Life. Which I have not seen. Maybe that would have been the better choice, so I guess fuck myself at this point. <laughs> no, but there's a lot to talk about with us. And I'm curious to revisit, if nothing else, uh, the twists and turns of that movie warrant potentially a second viewing. Yeah, that's what I'm excited for, too. I've only seen it the one time. I, I'm excited to watch the second time, maybe pick up on all the uh, idiosyncrasies that I might have missed. Idiosyncrasies? <laughs> Aristocrates? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So crates. So crates. <laughs> so... Crates indeed. And uh, on that very intelligent note, we uh, got a guy around because we're going to upload five seconds. Long live the giant condor. Wow. <laughs>